Hi, I'm Amy Porter. Some of you know me as a flutist and a classical musician, others as a professor, and some of you know me as a publisher and arranger. I'm a stepmom, I'm a business owner, and I'm the founder of a couple of nonprofits. And this is my podcast. My core mission as an entrepreneur is to appreciate what I have around me. And then I try and see as clearly as possible how I can help. So let's talk. Let's share information. Let's laugh and sometimes cry over the things that we have to work through in life and in music, in business and family and relationships. Come on into my Porter Flute pod. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod. It's episode 22. It's our story time. And we'd like to welcome the William S. Haynes Company and artist-in-residence Gareth McLaren. We're going to hear some stories about the faces at Haynes, the flutes of Haynes, the history of Haynes. It's going to be an exciting story time. With us in the pod is Justine Sedke and Alan J. Tomasetti. I went to the vault and found one of the recent recordings playing my Haynes, and this is with Joshua Marzan on piano. It's Albert Roussel's Jour de Flute. This is Pan. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod. I'm so glad you're here. Well, Gareth, welcome to the pod. Thanks. Lovely to be here. Tell us about the history of Haynes, the story of Haynes. Well, I think you know, the, the, the whole reason why William Haynes, William and George Haynes, they, they made their first flute, it was because, I mean, they were jewelry makers in Boston. I mean, the reason that Boston is a flute town is because of Haynes, it's because they lived in Rhode Island. They were tempted to Boston to make a flute um, by, I think it was Eustache, um, Eustace Strasset, who was the, the professor at the New England Conservatory. Um, and that was all the way back in 1888. And, you know, so, so that, that was you know, the, first, the first guy who, who he asked the Haynes brothers to come and make a flute. Um, and then eventually they, they worked through that. They became pretty well known. They got hired by another guy called Haynes, J.C. Haynes, who's no relation, strangely enough, um, hired, hired the Haynes brothers to make flutes. Um, and they made the first American-made gold flute. That was 18K. That was in 1896 for Henry Yeager, who was a military flutist, first of many, many hundreds of hundreds of, of uh, military flutes. And then Carl Vayner as well from the Metropolitan Opera. He's another another artist that that um, asked originally to get to get the Haynes guys to make uh, a copy of the Bohm Mendler um, flute. That was, you know, that was the one that would just crossed the Atlantic, and this was the, the whole the big hot news, and so it was Carvana who, who got that, um, and then there's been just all these collaborations all like all the way through the agency. There's, uh, there's Charles Howe, who was a very famous um, educator and, and uh, flute tutor, um, and and so he did work with them. They worked with Emil Medicus, who was again a, a celebrated player and author, publisher. Uh, obviously, Georges Barrere. Um, uh, who was the the principal of the New York Symphony, which was to become the New York Philharmonic, uh, and George Barrere, who's sort of like the first artist artist in residence almost. 
Um, and, you know, and he brought along things like, you know, it, open holes. That, you know, that's, that's a George Bar- that's a George Barrer thing. The platinum flute, the very the first, you know, complete platinum flute um, made on the planet. There are, there have been other platinum tubed flutes made, but this was the first all platinum instrument. Um, and um, and then in the fifties, there was Philip Kaplan. There's obviously collaborations with Ram Pal, you know, because Ram Pal was on was on his his gold Louis lot, and then he got a pair of of, of gold fourteen K Haynes. Um, collaborations with Jacques Zune, collaboration with Robert Wynn, um, collaboration with with James Galway, even on uh, um, for, for the the James Galway Q series. Uh, Alan you know, Alan Weiss um, joined the company in two thousand and four. Was another artist in residence, um, working with with even as recently as twenty sixteen, working with with Gaspar Hoyos, um, who who basically requested a lighter instrument and so that so a lightweight mechanism was was born and this is always you know and so every time that an artist has come into contact with the company i think the company's listened and that, i mean i know they've listened to me as well you know i'm, I'm i feel like at one end of the thread i'm an, an artist that's also working with the company working for the company um and I remember even just talking head joint design with with Avon O'Leary the master head joint maker at Haynes and you know, asking her to do you know something quite specific, quite sophisticated, just to make a small change to to the to the end cut head joint, and then what she did was was just revolutionary for for me and my own playing, um, and has, has since been been adopted, you know, in because it's, it's it's that thing of just listening to people whose um, whose ears they trust, um, and the, you know they they you know, and the people working there, um, I just have such high regard for them and, and their skills. The story is standing on the shoulders of, of these great flute makers. And then likewise, other flute makers have then sort of blossomed and bloomed out of Haynes. Um, and so the whole thing is, is like a, a family tree. I've sort of made it one of my missions to bring these genius master craftspeople to the fore. So that people will will see them, and they'll see their you know. So as well as seeing their work, they'll see them and sort of be able to recognize. Oh, that's you know, that's Dave or that's Avon or that's Joy, and 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 understand the people behind these these instruments. Finley, he's like the. Uh, I it's almost like he's the the sort the sort of spiritual hub of the company. You know, I asked him one time for one of these uh, videos that I make, I said, you know, how would you uh, verbalize Haynes in, in a nutshell? And without hesitation, he just said, welcoming personal resonance. And that was it. And I just, and I will, I'll never forget it because it was one of the first times I, that I was, I was in Boston and that's, and that's what he said, welcoming personal resonance. And I just sort of thought, yeah, that's, um, that, you know, that's, that's, that's perfect. Cause that, and that's, that is not only Haynes, but I think it's it's him, and that's why I sort of it feels like he's the the spiritual. He's just he's, I mean, everybody adores Finley, you know, because he's he's like sunshine in a bottle, um, and he's just he's positivity and genius also, which is which is which is one of these um, these very rare things to see. I remember the the first time I visited the workshop, um, I was sat down beside. Uh, David Schipani, who's the the head stringer and body maker at Haynes, and 
he was finishing off a, a side of a G sharp key or something, I think it was. And he pointed down at, at this tiny little microscopic pinhole on the side of the, of the key arm and said, do you see that? And I said, no, I don't. And he said, no, no, just there. And so he gets out the magnifying glass and says, this, do you see this tiny little microscopic pinhole? And I said, yes. I said, I'm going to give that another two strokes of the very finest file that I've got. And then if it's still there, that goes in the recycling. We start again. And I was like, but you can't, I can't see that. And there's no one going to, no one's going to see that. He goes, no, well, he said, I see it. Such subtleties. It was at that point when I sort of thought, wow, these flutes are quite cheap for what they are. You know, for, for, the, for the love and the creativity and the diligence that goes into them. I mean, it's, it's sort of astonishing. It was really humbling to, to, you know, to, to see the work. So Dave Chapani started his career at Haynes back in the 80s and then sort of moved around. I mean, there's, there's a, a lot of cross-pollination in the, in the, the, the flute shops. Um, and then has, has, has returned to Haynes, um, you know, and, and just does this, this most amazing work. The thing with Avon is that um, everything is done by ear. It's quite interesting because, you know, it's some, like there are some head joints that you look at um, and they look like pristine and they look, you know, very balanced and, and just perfect and perfectly polished and everything else and but they might sound a little bland or a little surgical or a little clinical but with even everything is done by ear so it's so it's not done by how it looks but it's done by how it sounds and once it sounds the right way then she stops because she's a really good flute player and so that you know it's it's so she has a, a super educated embouchure a super educated ear and then likewise with with um, with Joy, also a fantastic flute player. With Finley, also a fantastic flute player. Between the, the three of them, passing around head joints, passing around flutes, they they this is how they end up with with these ridiculous instruments. Um, with with Joy, I, I have a very a very sort of a very strong memory with her. She was working on my flute, you know, because flutes need servicing as they do, and so she was working on it. Gave me my flute. I, I played it a few notes and I, and I said, oh, and I was like, it's good. And she said, no, give me. And I said, no, no, I said, it's, it's good. She said, give me your flute. And so she just, she took, she took my flute because she, whatever it was, she'd heard, she'd heard what was, what was wrong while I was, I could, I didn't hear it. I thought it was fine. She had heard what, what was wrong, made a few little adjustment, gave it back to me. I said, oh no, you were completely right. And so, yeah, so she's, um, I sort of call her like a, some sort of flute Yoda, some sort of flute ninja um, in terms of her, her technical skills. And again, it's, it's the ears on these guys. Um, that's, that's the thing. They, they, they hear um, such subtleties. so clearly i tried my first haynes flutes because I mean, you have to remember in in europe haynes was basically absent 
I mean, almost absent for maybe 25, 30 years, and just not really anywhere. And so I first tried my, my, my first hands flute probably in about 2007, and I was like, eh, okay. 2008, okay. And by the time 2011 came, that was when I was just like, okay, right, this is really very interesting. And then I tried one in 2012, and it just completely rocked my world. Didn't know what to do. Called somebody. Called somebody immediately after I played it and said, I don't know what to do. I've just tried the best flute that I've ever tried in my life. I don't know what to do about it. Um, and so that was in 2012. Um, and the thing is, is my flute now, I think it's, it's better than that one. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's been a real, you know, it's been a dream come true um, in, 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 that, in that respect for me to, to not only get one of these beautiful instruments, because that was, that was the, the reason that I really broke to them in the first place, because I just wanted one of these flutes, but also to be working um, with, with these people. Right now, the conversation is about resonance. Can we understand that the flute came out of welcoming personal resonance, which could be three words with periods after them or a sentence? So what do you feel about this conversation about resonance and adding to the instrument in some way? Adding, adding gadgets? Yes, thank you for using the word. Well, it's funny. I mean, I think that the important thing for me is, is that having sat next to the people who create these things and watching them agonize over every single stroke, the Keynes have been doing this for 132 years. And I just remember sort of thinking, why would you, it's like going to a Michelin star restaurant and asking for ketchup. It's just like, why do you think you can improve? Like you can improve on this. I mean, normally anyone with gadgets on their instrument, I normally I'll sort of say, "Oh, you don't like your flute. You need a new flute." That's normally what uh, what I see. And you know, and everyone's got to do what they got to do. And everyone has their own little field to play. You know, they've 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 got to, they've got to do what they do. And you know, and whatever gets you through. You know, in 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 general, I just out of respect for. The, the makers who I've watched do their work, I'm just like, no, I'll just, I'll, I'll leave it exactly how it is. I was recording the Bach Cello Suites on the final day of my recording session in Hill Auditorium, the Haynes flutes arrived. And my crew said, are you going to open the Bach? I said, heck no. And I came home and I played a Bach Cello Suite prelude on the P head joint because P for Porter was just the way it was going to happen. Right. And then I thought, uh Oh, I should try the N. So I played this, I filmed for Finley, the same Bach cello suite in the kitchen on the N uh, head joint. And that's when I knew that there was something bigger than me in, uh, in my face. (laughs) Like, Oh, this, I don't sound the same at all. And, wow, this takes negotiation and this is fun. And wow, my Airstream. And, and guess what? I found out from Avon about three years in, I figured out when she told me the difference between the N and the P, as far as a cut is concerned, I said, oh, well, since I am such a free air girl, 
And I love feeling the airstream through the lip, from the body. I, I really pay no attention to the hands. Um, then my air is super free and I need the room. And she said, exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, the, the NCAT, it reminds me of how they talk about these fighter jets. And they talk about these fighter jets that are fundamentally unstable. They shouldn't fly. They're, unst- they're, they're, they're created in an unstable environment. And so, but and it's because they're unstable that they are so infinitely flexible and they are, and you can change the color like on a, like just on a dime. It's just, it's sort of, it's kind of ridiculous. And, the, and so that's, that, that's how I felt. And it is dangerous, you know, and it's, 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 it's hard work. It is hard work. But it's like satisfying work. It's, it's challenging, inspiring, interesting work. Um, and it's that thing of, because it's possible to get a head joint that will just play itself. It's, I mean, that's, that's possible. Um, and there are many of them out there. And it's, it's possible to do that. But I've never felt so artistically satisfied and, and, and had so much inspiration from an instrument. That's, you know, I never, whenever I, if I would have been, in uh, advising a student previously, I'd say, yeah, you know, just look for like good piano, good forte, nice and even, um, and, you know, good articulation, blah, blah. And this is, I would have given all these technical terms. Now I would say, find something interesting, find something challenging, find something inspirational, find something that's going to give you a voice. It's going to make you work with it. To, to actually create something because you know art is a struggle it, I mean that's it, you know, that's always the best way if, whenever whenever there's there's, there's a, a struggle going on whenever there's a, a conflict going on it's always the most interesting um artistic and I'm not saying we're, we're not we're not fighting with the instrument we're but we're working with it and we are I mean literally I mean gaining inspiration from the instrument which I had not had before I had not had that before that hits the nail on the head. I am so inspired by my flute. And it's interesting. I do have to practice it. And the muscles that I use, not just this outer membrane of the lip, but the inner membrane of the upper lip that we use for finesse and nuance. And uh, it is not going to be there if you don't practice. Might I say that I tell my students, you find a flute that's one and a half years out you take one and a half years to grow in and finally you feel like it's the most comfortable thing. But if it's comfortable right away, why bother? You don't have a 15 to 20 year history with this instrument. And if you're going to drop 20 to $60,000, I would hope that you would have the flute for 10 to 15 to 20 years with a beautiful technician. And, you know, it's like a, it's a beautiful uh, anything in your life that's worth it. You're going to have that long and it's a beautiful addition, part of your family, you know, you take care of it and you use it. And the the craftsmanship is impeccable. I'm just so happy to to be part of this um, family and, and so welcomed.
Can you tell us about the famous name DeVoe? Yeah, well, I mean, Lou DeVoe, um, so he started in 1941. He started Haynes just as like, as a, as a guy, um, you know, just working his way up from the bottom. And so it really is astonishing. It was from 1941. He became, you know, he worked his way up through, became general manager in 65. Um, and I think, I think he'd, he'd done military service in the meantime. So he'd been away being a Marine, um, you know, just, just after, not long after, after he, after he joined, he, he fought in the second world war. Um, and then he became owner in 1976. Um, and then, you know, then it died in, in, in the 90s, was it 96? And, and it was, you know, totally unexpected. And it absolutely rocked the world, rocked the flute world completely to its core. But it was just totally unexpected, far before his time. Um, and it, and it, it's at that point, it, it's, it's, that seemed to be a period where, you know, it was sort of a perfect storm of several untimely deaths of owners. I mean, it was just no other way around it. You, know, you had... Um, uh, Lou DeVoe and then his and then his wife and his wife died and then John Fragetta um took it took it on and then, and then he died also. It was it was tragic. Um so they had this this real decade almost of of real turbulent uncertainty um and very very hard times. So wasn't there a DeVoe scale? Didn't he have this system that some felt was out of tune, some felt was revolutionary enough to go with? Looking back at the history, I mean, Haynes was was absolutely dominant. All of, I mean, basically from the 20s onwards, or the 20s up until, I guess, you know, really this sort of, this late 70s or so. They were really very, very dominant. The DeVoe scale was from 81, uh, and that was um, in collaboration with Philip Kaplan, who was, again, who's another artist who worked at Haynes. Um, and so, yeah, so that was, that, was a, a, that was something that was developed. It was controversial, you know, because, uh, you know, because Albert Cooper had done, had done this, this, this work on the Cooper scale. But then the interesting thing about the Cooper scale is that Albert Cooper never made two flutes at the same scale. Never did. Cooper would always have said that the whole point of a flute scale is compromise there is no such thing as a, as a perfect scale because if you move one hole as, or you change one height of a tone hole it has a knock-on effect across the instrument so what kind of scale do i have on my custom flute you have a compromise you have a compromise and, and again i think that's it's that thing of um devoe took quite a position quite a political position whenever whenever he he made he made the scale made announcements, made declarations almost. I remember having having a chat with with one of these proponents of every every flute's got it, you know, their C sharps are, are are too sharp. And so I said, so if you're teaching somebody, is the bigger problem that the C sharp is sharp, or is it the problem that they don't hear the fact that that, that, that C sharp is sharp? I'd say that the latter is a bigger problem. If they don't have the, the, the ears to say, oh, that note's sharp, I have to adjust it. I think that that's almost like, it's almost like a, a, a flute playing ear test, you know, to be actually, to be able to, to be able to correct, to be able to, to have the embouchure flexibility, to work with this very flexible, very malleable note. Because um, if you can't hear that, you're going to be in difficulties. Um, and so it's that thing of, of, 
sure, you can make that note a little bit flatter and then you're going to have the knock-on effect across the, across the instrument. But that's sticking plaster. Actually learning how to control your embouchure control, you know, and, and controlling the pitch of a fairly easily pitched note is a more useful skill than having a C-sharp that's in tune if you just blow it straight, as it were, in my view. And come on, students, if you hear it, and you're out of tune, and you don't fix it, that's a bigger problem for me. If you say, oh, I didn't hear I was out of tune, then I say, great, okay, let's learn how to hear intonation. But if you can hear it, and you're not fixing it, that's a foul. That's a big red flag on the play. Yeah, I mean, it's the thing, and it's just that thing of, and it's, it is ubiquitous. It is everywhere. People are, they are still playing C sharps too high, and I still I sort of think, do you not hear that? And if you well, don't hear that, I have to I have to say if I had a nickel for every D flat that is sharp on my CDs on my albums uh, I I someone would be rich if I gave someone a nickel because I didn't have those people in the booth the whole time the whole CD when I did you can hear it and when I didn't, you can hear it. And so I just have to say that sometimes it's like singing. Do you know singing in tune is really hard? We should have some great respect for singers that really go to the last degree to uh, tune up their instrument. And they have to deal with so many variables. And so for flute players, why are we not understanding that we have so much available to us. We have vowels. We have what the flute make, maker made. Like, you know, why are we questioning uh, the fact that we have to do work? We have to do work. Is there a style of mechanism on the Haynes flute that is special or is it, um, does it come from a historical perspective? Can you tell me about that? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's an interesting one because there's a whole combination of the feel that I've, that, that is sort of, it's unique to Haynes. There's different companies, especially different, you know, in, in, in Boston, you could, you know, the, the, when, if you, by, by playing the different instruments, they are totally different. You, there's, you know, there's huge differences in, in how the feel, how they react, the action, the, even the key height, all that sort of stuff. And what I noticed about the Haynes is first of all, it's, it's, it seems to be the, the thickness of the of the of the tone holes, thick tone holes, which I really appreciate. I say it's a bit like closing the door on an Aston Martin. You get this very satisfying, boom, like this, boom, boom, this sort of very pleasing heaviness and weight to the key to, to the to the key closing, and you get a very satisfying return on the key as well. But it's that it's whenever you put the key down there's a there's a certain feel that gives that gives you a certain I don't know what gives you a certain amount of of, of confidence with it I, I that's that's how I can sort of describe it that's how, I don't know how it feels there are probably there's there definitely are you know these people these things are, are are manufactured to be that way but I feel like it's with the keys you have these little raised rings in the middle which give it a lightness and give it, it sort of feels very nice and live and quick. But the, and whatever it is with the spring tension, a combination of the spring tension, the key height, the tone hole thickness, I guess, maybe the pad, I, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but you just get this very satisfying um, mechanism that feels substantial. 
I think that's the thing. And even with the lightweight, even the lightweight mechanism, which you know that shaves like 20, 25% of the, of the weight of the mechanism off, it still feels substantial. It doesn't feel flighty or light or or um, um flimsy at all. It always feels sort of yeah, very solid. I know I'm with the right company when I'm playing this flute and to have spoken with you today about the trade and the people behind the trade has been really wonderful. No, it's been super. No, it's been a lovely opportunity. I've, I've been, I've been enjoying, enjoying your listening to your podcast on on my on my runs out in out in the countryside. The, the weather here has been glorious for it. So I've been, you've been accompanying me on on, on some of those. Um, and it's, it's a pleasure. I hope, do. I hope you had a giggle at some point. Of course. Good. Yeah. And normally, I don't listen to music. I, I, I'm a spoken word person. When I listen to music, I'm sitting down. And I'm concentrating, but I mean, whenever we have your little bits of interspersed, um, interspersed music in 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 this podcast, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a change for me. Um, but I, I, I'm always enjoying, always learning something as well. Thank you. I appreciate it. Do you own Haynes Flute? You can opt into their program, Club Eighty Eight. It's at their website, wmshaynes.com. If you would like to try a Haynes flute, you can get all that information there on their website. Thank you to Gareth for being here. And thank you to you all for listening to 22 episodes of Porter Flute Pod. Thank you, Justine. Thank you, AJ. You can find me at amyporter.com or porterflute.com. On Facebook, I'm Amy Porter Flutist. And on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, I'm Porter Flute. Thanks for being here. I'm so grateful for you.